It's so great to be inspired to continue on. The Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing. And this is a long game. It's not a short game. So it's a whole uh, new perspective on life and standing against these things. We're so excited when uh, it was a couple of months ago, Amy said, I want uh, Del Bigtree to come. And I said, we'd love to have Del. So you make it happen. So Amy has put this together. We're so thankful that she did. And uh, for those who have been following, I know most of you are here because you do already know Dell. But found, as the founder of Informed Consent Action Network, also the internet talk show High Wire, I was listening to it this week, and he was talking about uh, the uh, 1984 Orwellian times that we're in. And it's like I listen to these people that are freedom fighters, and I'm like, oh, we're just brothers from a different mother. I mean, this is a, the, the dynamic that's going on right now about liberty and about freedom. And uh, he's making a, a, a huge difference and impact. It's not one person standing. It has to be an army of people bringing a message of liberty from so many different directions. So we're so thankful to have Del Bigtree. Please welcome him here to God Speak. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Um, I want to take a minute because I know once I get into talking, I'll get all excited and, and forget everything else. Um, normally, I'd be driving right now with my wife and kids to Colorado to, to our family for Thanksgiving, but this was so important, and I, and I really want to make this clear before I start. Um, Amy Bond, watching the work that she did, and it's so funny, she said, you know, she came here in 2018, and right about that time was when we were starting to pack up and move out with my family, so I think we traded places, which is it's a really great replacement you have here. But I just want to say, there's a lot of great groups all over this country. I meet a lot of them. And there's great groups here in California. Um, but there's a reason that we chose at ICANN to really team up the times we have with PERC. Um, and that is because there's a, there's a similar culture. When, you know, I got, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the work that we've done with ICANN. But I think we've got the best attorney in the world in Aaron Siri. Um, he, it just, it, it's, in, it's impossible to explain how clever he is and how he sees the world. And one of the things that we do behind the scenes is we reach out to other legal teams that are taking up cases. We can't take them all. And ICANN funds Aaron to help any legal team uh, with anything they want, ask any questions, and to get involved. And there are times where we will reach out and say, we want you to shut down that case immediately. That is a loser, and we cannot afford to lose cases. We cannot be setting bad precedent against ourselves. And so these are things that are, you know, we don't talk about it behind the scenes. Sometimes it's just like, that is not a good case. We know you're passionate. We get while you're there, but that is going to lose, and we don't want to have to try and get around that in the future. So all of these types of things take place. Amy has a very similar way of approaching the things that she's doing that I do. And I think, you know, and I was trying to think how I'd put it in words, but what she said is true. What I see in Amy is she believes she's going to win. She believes you're going to win. She believes we are going to win, which is the same exact philosophy that I have. That's all that it is, is I know we're going to win. I feel it. I, I, the miracles that happen every day 
uh, tell me that there is something much bigger going on here. But there are a lot of people, and it's nothing against them. It's a lot of people in different groups and movements where I'm working with them. And I realize some of them have been at this for decades. And I just think, you actually don't believe we're going to win. You know, I don't know what it is that you are involved in this process, but it's almost like a martyr experience. Like you really are just here so that I guess at the end of life you'll say, hey man, I tried. Uh, there are groups in this state that used to always drive me nuts that one of the first things they do is they go in and say, we got to figure out how to compromise and find a compromise with the other side and make some amendments. No way. I mean, from the beginning, I've always said, no way, hell no, we killed this dead. We will not compromise. Compromise is death. Everything here, what, you just, we're just going to let it move a little bit slower than it's already going, and that'll fix this, you know, fix this thing? So I really want to say to you, um, the reason I'm here is really to support Perk and Amy Bond and say it is critical. We at ICANN, we're spending millions and millions of dollars every year on lawsuits all across the country, but we can't fight them all, and California is huge, and it is such a gift that you've got Perk here doing this work and winning in San Diego and all the things that we've done. Um, I called Amy and said, look, if, you know, we've teamed up a couple times. I said, Amy, you're a winner. And that's, that's what I love about you. I don't know what's driving you or how you're doing it or, you know, how you're picking such great legal teams to get it done. But I will say this, your lives are on the line here in California. It's true. How California goes, so goes the nation, and then there goes the world. If you are not, like, taking every red cent you right now and, and funding Perk because she is there fighting all the cases that are going to decide the fate of the world right now. Uh, give up on donating to Saving the Monarch Butterfly this year, right? You know, and I hope the rhinoceroses survive without you. But we are talking about our kids. We are on the precipice of, you know, a long journey they've been on. Luckily, we're all waking up right at this moment but I want you to very seriously, when you leave here, know that she doesn't get to sit on the highway every week and say, oh, could you donate and help me out? You're here today. Make sure you do not leave here with dropping your wallet in perk so that she can try to save your children the future of California. I know my heart's behind it. That's why I'm here. Thank you. All right. Not to say there aren't other great people in California, but... I really like the way you're carrying yourself through this. I thought what I would do, you know, and I know a lot of you have seen almost everything that I talk about, but I've been really trying in my own mind to figure out what's going on here. Like, how, what is the agenda? What can I prove and what can I not prove? Now, a lot of people get upset with me because I won't say that this is population reduction. I won't make these big, grandiose statements and I'm really grappling with that myself, but I'm skeptical of all, all of it. I'm skeptical of all sides of this. I'm skeptical of my own side, my own thoughts. What can I prove is what matters to me. And what I'm really obsessed with is putting Tony Fauci and Deborah Burks and all the rest of these people in prison. And I hear... I hear a lot of conversations, you know, about, you know, all that's going on and the sinister and the satanic cult and all this, but that doesn't do it. That's not going to work in a courtroom. So what I'm going to lay out for you today 
is sort of my court case on what took place here and why I believe we will win a case of crimes against humanity. This is our best case going forward. So just to begin with, so for those of you, I hope sometimes when I come to these things, you brought your friend, your friend that's just starting to wake up and you think maybe they can handle this. Now, if they haven't slit their wrists after everything that just, Amy just laid on them, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Let me take you through what's taking place. This is where I come from. I come from television. I was working here in Hollywood at Paramount Studios on the CBS talk show, The Doctors. Um, I won an Emmy Award, celebrating the best that science and medicine has to offer. I loved my job. It was not what I expected would happen with my life, but then again, God has plans for you, and I think God has plans for all of us here. But this was an amazing experience, and it gave me the opportunity to start understanding science and medicine in a way that I never had. And so in that process, um, you know, my mom would call me, and this is the truth. My mom would call and say, Del, what are you doing working on a medical talk show? You've never been to a doctor in your life. <laughs> and it's true. I was raised with no vaccines. I was not vaccinated as a child. My mom pulled me out of school in fourth grade. I was the oldest and just decided that she was going to homeschool us because she didn't like where this education system was going. And so I just want to, I know a lot of you are raising your kids that way, and I just want to give you a little warning. This is the type of trouble they're going to get into <laughs> if you do that. So anyway, I'm working on this medical talk show, and I said, Mom, it's amazing. I'm like a Trojan horse in here. They have no idea that all the shows that I'm producing for the doctors are really challenging the medical establishment. Now, I wasn't anti-medicine or anti-science, anything but, but I love stories about how instead of using anesthesia, surgeons were using acupuncture or bringing chiropractic into the Cleveland Clinic, you know, all sorts of things like that. And no one else on the show, there's seven total producers. I was just one of them. I'm producing one episode every single week. Everybody else is on all the other mainstream stuff and you're fighting for the stories. No one was fighting for my stories. And I was going in and pitching them and my executive producer's like, we don't even understand what this topic's about, Del. But the one thing they would say to me is, will it rate? Because it's all about ratings. And I said, don't all of my shows rate? You see, what had happened was I ended up being the highest rated producer on the show. And that's all they cared about. So anything I pitched, even they said, we don't get it. Normally, everybody else would get kicked out, kicking and screaming. And, you know, it's really hard. TV's hard. They're hard on you. But I had it easy because the world actually wanted to see the stories that I cared about. So in the middle of all that, because I'm doing, you know, outside-of-the-box stories, I also did a lot of challenging of industry. I'm just one of these guys that's skeptical where there's billions of dollars to be made. I tend to think when you tell me it's good for me, I think you care more about the money than you do about me. And so I did a lot of shows about drugs that were being sued and things like that, really on the line. One of the biggest shows I did was the moment that Monsanto's product glyphosate, which is in Roundup that's sprayed on 90% of our crops in America, the WHO actually had this cancer group that rated it the second highest cancer rated there was, which is probably carcinogenic to human beings. And I said, I want to do a show on that. And so I got Travis Stork, the lead guy on my side. He said, yeah, I think that that's something we should cover. You're the one to do it, Dell. And then I reached out to Monsanto and I said, look, the WHO is saying your product is probably causing cancer for everyone that comes near it. Do you want to defend that product and send someone to the doctor's television show? Now, the truth was, 
This is what I was using. I mean, I grew up a hippie kid. I was an environmentalist. I hate Monsanto passionately, like my whole life. I always thought they were the evil empire. And I'm thinking, there's not a way in hell they're going to send. I've never seen a scientist on television from Monsanto. But I said, you know, would you send someone down, you know, to try and defend your product? Thought, Maybe I'll try and bait them in. And they said, we would love to send our head of tech toxicology. I mean, I, I, was, I was gasping. I was like, really? Yeah, we're going to send Donna Farmer, head of toxicology, down. I said, great. Oh, that will be great. Now, the thing was, was Monsanto was one of our sponsors. I mean, we had products all over it. And they were pretty sure they had us owned like they have all of television. They just didn't know that I didn't care if I was going to get fired the next day. I'm going to get Monsanto! And so I called up a guy that had written several books on Monsanto, Jeffrey Smith, one of the leading GMO activists, and I brought him in. I remember calling him and said, I've got the head of toxicology coming in from Monsanto. I heard you're the guy to debate her. Do you want to do it? He says, I'm dropping everything. You know, what do I do? Anyway, the footage from that show, I, later on, I was talking to one of the lead attorneys that's won the $3 billion case and then the, the huge cases that are winning. He says, Dell, that footage that we use from the doctors, you got Donna Farmer to lie on television, and now that we have her internal emails, it's the most damning thing that happens in front of the jury. Thank you for doing that. All right. I'm already going too long, and this was supposed to be like a five-second slide. That's the doctors. So because I'm doing that work, I'm controversial, uh, I have inside sources. Someone tips me off and says there's going to be a whistleblower from the CDC that's going to come forward and say they're committing um, scientific fraud in the vaccine safety studies. I pitched it. It was one of the few pitches that didn't go over very well. The executive producers say, now you've done some crazy things in here, but we are not going to say that the CDC is poisoning this country, and we're not going to attack a Merck vaccine when Merck is one of our sponsors. That didn't stop me. I went and made this documentary. <clears throat> Vaxed vax from cover-up to catastrophe, which really... Andy Wakefield had been working on this for a year and a half, and I won't go into the miraculous story that brought us together, but I wasn't able to make this film. Uh, I wasn't able to do anything. And here's the truth. I'm in California. I'm gonna, maybe I'll go a little bit long, because this is really important. I probably, I mean, and, and I think it's all about, like, what calls us, right? Like, what are we doing here? Honestly, I probably would have let this story go. I would have, even though it was like I knew there was this whistleblower. I saw the statements being made online. I hear that there's this guy, Dr. William Thompson, saying, you know, every time I see a child with autism, I feel guilty. I can't believe we did what we did. We hid statistically significant information. I mean, it was outrageous. These are outrageous statements, and I wanted to be a part of it, but I had a really good job. Right, I was really doing well. Fine, it took a long time to get my career rolling, and now it's rolling. I won an Emmy Award. But as fate would have it, there was one more step. One day I get a call from the stage because I had a show that was going to go live the next day. And we have seven segments, you know, all the commercials. I filled it all up, but one of my spots is missing. Someone had dropped out of the show. And so I get a call, like, Del, come over to the stage. We're taping a piece. We're going to put it in your show so that it can air tomorrow. So I run over with a notebook. I'm going to do a really quick edit on it. And I sit backstage, and I'm watching all the monitors. And out walks this guy I'd never seen him before named Senator Richard Pan. 
and he walks down, he sits in the chair, and he starts pitching this brand new idea he has called SB 277. It's going to be a law, and we're the first television show breaking this to the world, a law that will forcibly vaccinate any child that wants to go to public or private school in California. Now that, I was sitting at that moment thinking, I'm not vaccinated. I haven't vaccinated my baby. I don't plan on vaccinating any of our kids. And this guy is literally saying it's going to be illegal to be who I am and raise my kids the way I was raised. This guy's a Nazi, and there is no way I am putting this piece in my show. That was the first thing. I just thought there's no way that Del Bigtree's name will roll up after this abomination goes out on television so I thought, am I going to have to out myself? Am I going to have to tell the producers who I really am? Anyway, I walked out, and I walked right in the executive producer's offices. I said, look, that was like 10 minutes long, and I only have like a two-minute piece. You don't want to cut it down that much. It won't even fit in my show. And they're like, you know what, Doug? You're right. We're going to put something else in there. But it bothered me, and it kept bothering me, and it was really eating away at me. And um, I got to my office one day, and I was, I was really depressed. I was just thinking, man, this has been such a great job, but I feel like I'm supposed to be telling this whistleblower story at the CDC. I feel like there's a reason an unvaccinated kid gets a television career that's actually working in medicine, winning Emmy Awards. I have a knowledge and ability to do something here, and I'm in the one place I can't do it. And so I decided to pray. And I sat in my office. And that was my prayer. I said, God, um, I'm really blessed. And I want you to know how grateful I am for everything that I've been given here. But I feel like I'm supposed to be telling this whistleblower story. And I feel like I'm supposed to be stopping things like SB 277. I know how the media works. I've been working for these people. I've been selling their flu outbreaks and things like that. I can bring this down. And I'm in the one place that... I can't do that, and I feel like God's children are going to be destroyed here. I need a sign, something. Please. Amen. 30 seconds later, my phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's this PR person that I'd met a couple times, Donna Schumann. She says, hi, Dell, it's Donna. Uh, I'm the one I met you over. I said, yeah, I know who you are. And she says, I have a question for you. Would you have any interest in meeting Dr. Andrew Wakefield? And I said, you mean that doctor out of the UK, the, the, the anti-vax guy that like, made, put the MMR and autism and all that together? She's like, yeah. I said, yeah, I would. Yeah, I really would. I says, well, he's going to have a meeting in the Hollywood Hills at a, somebody's house and uh, I just want to know that you'll be there because, you know, it's a really small group of people. I said, Donna, if you knew when you had called, you would know I would skip a family wedding right now. I don't know. I don't really know much about this guy. I just know clearly I'm supposed to meet him. So I go to this party. Actually, Sharon Winter's home right here, sitting in the room. And I immediately grab a hold of Andy's wife. My wife and I had looked her up. We, I go up, I said, look, I'm a producer for CBS, uh, the doctors, and I, I really need to talk to Andy. I have no idea what he's there for. And he, she calls him over. I realize now that I didn't think about it then. I'm the CBS producer. Of course they want to talk to me. But I'm just thinking, God, it would be really interesting to meet this guy. <laughs> so he came over, and we start talking. 
And he says, you know, this vaccine program is really dangerous. This law that they're trying to pass off, I said, I know. And, you know, it's just, I always wanted to meet, because, I mean, you know he's this bad guy, right? He's always like the evil guy. And every time the vaccine issue comes up, this is the one guy they're always talking about. It's like the longest running news story in the history of the world. There's something wrong with it. It's like, I, if I meet him, I'll know. And I'll tell you, how many people have met Andy Wakefield? Okay, when you meet this guy, the, it takes about three minutes before you say, oh, my God. He's not the fraud. Whatever happened to this guy is the fraud. He's amazing, powerful, uh, smart. So we're having this great conversation. Everyone else at the party is getting pissed off because I'm taking too much time with him, and I guess they're there to meet him. And uh, somebody comes up and they said, uh, hey, Andy, you've got to do your pitch. He's like, oh, Dell, sorry, I've got to do my pitch. I was like, okay, whatever this means, you know. So he goes and he starts talking about SB 277 and all these laws and everything. And then he says, and the thing that I'm going to do about it, I actually have, I think, the tool that can bring this thing down. I've been working on a documentary about the whistleblower at the CDC named Dr. William Thompson. Miracles happen, is what I'm trying to say. Two days ago, I said a prayer. I want to be telling this whistleblower story, and someone calls me 30 seconds later. And I'm now staring at the guy that has this documentary, and it's like the clouds part and the sun shines down on you. And the only thought I had is, Del, you know those people that come up to you and they're like, hey, man, I had a dream that we were supposed to work together, you know, things like that. And you're like, cray, cray. <laughs> I just thought to myself, don't be that guy. <laughs> this is a scientist. He's pretty straight-laced. Anyway, amazing sets of miracles, and we ended up making this documentary together. And I think a lot of people would argue that it really shifted this conversation around the world. Some bomb threats helped out, getting kicked out of Tribeca Film Festival. But this changed my life. Now let me try and get this thing moving. I started, I started a nonprofit called Informed Consent Action Network because as we were traveling with Vax, we had this bus that people were painting this, you know, the names of their injured children and family members. I'm sure some people in here have their names or their children on the bus as a traveling memorial to the vaccine injury. And thousands of parents were lining up at every screening, every town we're stopping in that wanted to tell their story, we're recording them. But people would come up to me and say, Dell, is it only the MMR vaccine? It's just the MMR, because your film is just about the MMR vaccine. I said, look, I have only investigated the MMR for this film, but I will tell you that I have heard from hundreds of parents that say my child died right after a flu shot, or my, my, my star athlete daughter has been paralyzed ever since she got her Gardasil HPV vaccine, or our child, this is the number one I heard, was our child never got to the MMR vaccine, which you get at two years old. Our child regressed into autism after the DTaP vaccine. I'd actually say now, though the film was about MMR and autism, I believe more people think DTaP caused autism than MMR, just in my anecdotal experience. So when people were saying, well, we're going to avoid the MMR, but what about the rest? I can't scientifically answer that for you as a journalist, and that's why I started this nonprofit. I wanted to continue my investigation. I'd already torched my television career. There's no going back there. You know, pharma owns the television, and I've got them pissed off enough to make sure I never work again. So <clears throat> I started the Informed Consent Action Network, and I bring in Aaron Siri, the best lawyer I ever met on the topic, and we started suing. 
We won against the National Institute of Health, Health and Human Services, the CDC, the FDA. No one had ever thought to do this before. Every lawyer I talked to for this first year or so making Vax kept saying, Dell, they're totally indemnified. They're protected by the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. You can't sue. I talked to huge lawyers. And then finally I ran into Aaron Siri and we were talking. And he said, well, why don't we go around the 86 Act and sue the government? If they took on the liability, let's go after them. And that was something no one had ever done before. So while we were winning against the government, no one on CNN is talking about it. No one on MSNBC or Fox is going to talk to us. So we decided let's just start our Good own news morning. program. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are out there in the world, in this awesome world. On this beautiful green marble. How about we all step out onto this very precarious high wire. All right. You get the idea. The High Wire was born, started out in a little closet in a studio in Hollywood. I think we had a few hundred people watching the first day, a few thousand the next week, and slowly but surely it grew. When I started looking at this conversation, though, and I'm going to tell you the reason I've been emboldened to stay with it is headlines like this. U.S. has the highest first-day infant mortality out of industrialized world group reports. This is being admit admitted. We have the highest first-day mortality, Right? Pastor Rob was talking about how is it we have more people dying than in Africa during this. I'm amazed that Tony Fauci actually says things like America was hit harder than every other country under your guidance. <laughs> With the best hospital system in the world, we had more people die than everyone else and you still have a job and you're still getting like on the cover of Time magazine. Well, these headlines have always been like this. We have more babies die on the first day of life. We're also one of the only countries that get, demands that you get a hepatitis B vaccine and the vitamin K shot, both loaded with so much aluminum. I'll tell you a whole story about that another time. America's babies are less likely to survive their first year than babies in other rich countries. These are all my old slides. This is long before COVID. I'm showing you what we're traveling around talking. We have more babies die in the first year of life than every other industrialized nation. And by the way, that first day of life, more babies die on the first day than every industrialized nation combined. We have more dying on the first day of life. America's kids are 70% more likely to die before adulthood than kids in other rich countries. We suck at what we do here. If health is what we're going for, we are not achieving. We are underachieving in a major way. And when we started looking at our vaccine program, we're one of the most vaccinated nations in the world. And what we discovered is that in 1986, prior to giving liability protection, we were getting about 11 vaccines by the time we were 18 years old. And so I know a lot of you are in the audience, and I know you vaccinated your kids. It's all right. We all have to have our moment where we wake up. But what we were saying to ourselves is, I got my vaccines, and I'm just doing what was done with me. Well, your kids didn't get the 11 vaccines. By 2017, they were getting 54 vaccines by the time they're 18 years old. And remember, some of these have three different components in them. So technically, it's about 72 vaccines by the time you're 18. Now, look, if we had the healthiest kids in the world, if they were living longer than they'd ever lived, they were the healthiest generation we'd ever seen, then what argument is there? But the opposite was the case. When we looked at it, when we were getting 11 vaccines, 12.8% was the rate of chronic illness, either an autoimmune or neurological disorder. 12.8% of American kids had a lifelong chronic illness. 
Once it shot up to 54 vaccines, we hit 54% of America's kids have a permanent chronic illness, either a neurological disorder or an autoimmune disease. Folks, that is the greatest decline in human health in recorded history. It has never been that bad. We've never seen anything like that. Within 30 years, a total drop in health, where our kids are going to be on a drug the rest of their lives. One in four kids leaves elementary school on a drug they'll be on the rest of their lives. Something is going wrong. When we looked at the vaccine program, and this sort of came out of our work when Bobby Kennedy was asked by Donald Trump once Donald Trump got into office to head a vaccine safety commission, we didn't end up getting that to happen. But Bobby called me and said, look, Trump's got me a meeting at the NIH so we can go and present all the issues we have with the vaccine program. And in all of our research, and Aaron got involved, and we all crushed our notes together, we realized that not a single vaccine on the childhood schedule was ever tested against a placebo. It had never had a randomized control trial, not of a single one of our childhood vaccines. Not one of them ever established safety. They basically just tested it against a different vaccine that had never established safety. They're doing it right before your eyes. If it's hard to understand, do you know that they're working on mRNA flu shot? And they're saying it's going to be safe because they proved that the COVID vaccine was safe. No, they didn't. They jumped out of that with an emergency use authorization. It's exactly how they've always done this. There have, anyone that's telling you, and by the way, I'm grabbing Dr. Robert Malone, I'm grabbing Peter McCullough, and I say, you guys keep saying that this is an anomaly. The COVID vaccine was poorly made and it was raised to the market unlike our childhood vaccines. I said, it's exactly like our childhood vaccines. Our childhood vaccines never established safety. Well, all of those things we were saying and all these talking points started being used and at the NIH, I'll never forget the moment, Bobby Kennedy presented everything that we went. It was about a two or two and a half hour presentation. Lots of slides, but here's the gist of it. He said, and right across from him was Francis Collins and right across from sitting next to Bobby, right across from me was this guy named Tony Fauci. I'd never really heard of him prior to that moment but I'm sitting across from him and then like 10 other people on the other side of the table and we had some on ours. And Bobby said, we can't find a single placebo study of any of the childhood vaccines in the childhood program. So our question is this, are you not doing safety trials because that's the only true safety trial there is or are you just doing them and it's not public knowledge or something? And I remember this guy at the end of the table says, of course we're doing placebo studies. It's just in earlier phases than get printed for the public. And Bobby said, great, that's why we're here. This is the National Institute of Health. All of that information will be archived. Go ahead and hand it to us, and we'll take it back to the public that's asking us to ask these questions. I mean, it was like the longest pregnant pause I've ever seen. And then finally, Tony Fauci says, we don't do placebo trials because it would be unethical. That was it. That's what he said. The idea being that they have such a faith in the product, even a brand new product like HPV or Gardasil, that to deny these girls this brand new product that might stop cancer, actually it's now causing cancer, but we would have known that had we done some placebo trials, but to deny that placebo group the access to the vaccine would be unethical. And that's how they've gotten away with it. They've said, we don't do any of this. We don't do what we do for every other drug because of an ethics issue. All right. 
All of this was going on. We were winning our arguments, and more and more parents were going to their pediatricians and saying things like this. I just want you to show me where there's a randomized control trial of this product, and the pediatricians couldn't do it. And so suddenly, there was this huge shift happening in America and around the world with vaccine hesitancy, which by 2019, the WHO finally said, WHO says anti-vaxxers are a global health threat. Anti-vaxxers are among the top 10 health threats facing the world in 2019, the World Health Organization says. Now, kind of like celebrating Judy going to jail and an anniversary, I have to say the things you expect to be excited about in life is not being called one of the top 10 threats that the world has ever seen, but I can't tell you how happy we were we made it to this list. <laughs> we knew we were getting somewhere. I'm setting this up because you have to understand the climate. Some of you are brand new and you've got to understand that the world we're sitting in. A lot of these doctors I'm talking to that have just woken up because of COVID think that this whole thing just started two years ago. It didn't start two years ago. It started decades ago and it really started taking momentum about six years ago. So what happens? December 2019, the WHO is calling us a top 10 health threat and then they bring together this meeting in Geneva, Switzerland. What is the goal? The entire purpose of this event is to bring in the scientists of the world to figure out how to stop vaccine hesitancy. December 2019. I'm going to play you one video. There's a whole bunch of videos that I did a whole show on. Go look it up on the high wire. It'll blow your mind what they admitted when they forgot the cameras were rolling things that they've been lying to us about for years. But it's really important that you understand what Heidi Larson, the lead psychologist for the WHO, says here. Because it's something that I didn't realize till she said it and explains a lot. I think that one of our biggest challenges is, as, as Bob said this morning or yesterday, we're in a unique position in human history where we've shifted uh, the human population to vaccine-induced, um, to dependency on vaccine-induced immunity. And that's on the great assumption that populations would cooperate. And for many years, people lined up. The six vaccines, people were there. They saw the reason. We're in a very fragile state now. We have developed a world that is dependent on vaccinations. We don't have a choice but to make that effort. We've developed a world that's dependent on vaccines. What does she mean by that? You see, they messed up. When the MMR vaccine, actually when I was just thinking about measles, there was a huge argument between two different sides of virology and immunology. And half of them were saying we should not mess with the measles virus. It is a trivial childhood illness. The death rate by CDC numbers is 1 in 500,000 die in America. 1 in 500,000. So any idiot that comes up to you and says measles is deadly, and they do it to me all the time, you're going to bring back measles, measles is deadly. Really? How are you standing here to tell me that? What do you mean? Well, if measles is deadly because everyone caught it, you do realize it's one of the most infectious viruses the world's ever seen. If it's deadly, then your grandparents would be dead and you would not be standing here telling me that. In fact, the billions of people around me are here because measles did not kill their family members. Okay? That's the fact. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. They said measles is a trivial childhood illness, 
But if we pressure it with a vaccine and we don't manage to eradicate it, we could make it vaccine resistant and ultimately more virulent and more dangerous. And if we make that virus more dangerous, as infectious as it is, we're going to have a serious problem on our hands. Don't worry. The vaccine will work just like natural immunity. One shot, you're done. Lifelong immunity never happened. Not one vaccine's ever achieved that, by the way. Never once have they made a vaccine that does what your God-given immune system does every time you've caught a virus. And so here's what she's saying. The baby boomers in the room, you are the last hope we have for herd immunity. You're the only ones that are still immune to measles. Every adult now, their vaccines have worn off. The big Disneyland outbreak here in California, 50% of them were adults that had been previously vaccinated. 30% caught vaccine strain measles. You were told it was about unvaccinated. It wasn't. It was about waning immunity, something we hear a lot about now with COVID. All of the immunity from our childhood vaccines has worn off. They never achieved what they wanted to which was herd immunity, natural immunity. And so the issue is no adults are immune. And she said, we went on this fact, we had this idea that because you got your six vaccines as a child, you would keep re-upping those vaccines, but adults aren't getting their vaccines. This was their issue. And polio is coming back now. Polio because they have vaccine strain polio sweeping all over the Middle East. And now it's in New York. And guess what? They're thinking of going back to the oral polio vaccine, which also can cause polio. Get ready, folks. This is about to get really stupid because these idiots have really messed up. Right in about 2019, early on, we had a strain of measles in the Ukraine that was vaccine resistant. All of their greatest fears are upon them. Let me just make this point. Here's the vaccines that you got if you were born before 1986. This is what your kids are getting. And this is what the future dream is with mRNA technology. Every bacteria and virus can be made into a vaccine overnight, and we can go ahead and inject you. You're all about to become human pincushions for, a, for a companies that are making billions. It will be trillions of dollars within years if we let them get away with this. This is the CDC adult schedule. I'm waking, I know a lot of you, there's a whole other story here than COVID. This is the adult schedule because remember, you didn't get that list that your children got, but you're due. You have to in order to hold on to what they're calling immunity, but it's not. You see, the vaccines, the only thing they ever eradicated was not disease. The only thing they eradicated was herd immunity itself. When we lose this last generation of baby boomers, it's over. There's no herd immunity on this planet. We're vulnerable to every virus that's out there. And this is the adult schedule. Two more MMRs as an adult. Let me ask you this, all of you that just since college, how many people in this room have gotten MMR vaccine after college? Look around, folks, okay? This is what they're terrified about. None of you are immune to measles. It's not the unvaccinated. Most of you, I guess, how many got your vaccines as kids? It's okay, because we didn't know then, right? It's useless. They're not telling you this. The CDC didn't tell you this. The WHO isn't telling you this because they know you'd freak out. Wait a minute. You erased our immunity, and we're supposed to keep trusting you? 
So 2019, December, they get together, they have a problem. We need all the adults vaccinated. It's not about the kids. I've been saying it for years, so is Judy. They're not the number one most powerful lobby in Washington, outspending oil and gas two to one, because they're trying to vaccinate the last 3% of the hippie kids. You're not spending more than the, the lobbyists that are, we're fighting wars in the Middle East for. They were always coming after you. It was always about you. You are the cash cow. You are the future of the pharmaceutical takeover of the world. December 2019, how do we get adults to start using these vaccines again? Two a SARS-like virus which has infected hundreds in China has now reached the United States. The first confirmed U.S. case now in Washington state. The second case, a woman in Chicago. Third case. Orange County, Arizona. Airports around the world are stepping up health screenings on passengers arriving from Wuhan, China, the epicenter of the outbreak. Tonight, China reporting dozens of deaths. It's killed at least 81 people in China. More than 900 people infected worldwide. More than 2,700 others have been infected across 13 countries. People infected with the coronavirus can spread the disease before showing symptoms. We don't know um, just how deadly this is. There could be many, many people out there infected. But it's still a lot unknown about how it spreads. The contagiousness of the patient is so much more evident. This is a rapidly changing situation, both here and abroad. I'm urging HHS to declare a public formal health emergency for the coronavirus. It's interesting timing, isn't it? Your leading health authorities all gather in one place, discuss how do we scare the entire planet into vaccine submission, and then suddenly we have the world's deadliest cold. All of a sudden, out of nowhere. And to further, I think, implicate the idea that there must be an agenda, Warp speed vaccine. We're told the only way out of this is going to be a vaccine. That's weird. With all the drugs that we have, all the things we've ever treated, everyone in every health department in every country in the world is saying there's no way any drug on this planet is going to work. We're three days into it. We know nothing about COVID, but what we do know is no drug will work. Only a vaccine is going to get us out of this. That's really strange. That doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever. Okay. Is it an agenda? This is what we're going to get into. So warp speed. Now, if it's a vaccine agenda, then you've got to get the vaccine out quickly. They're telling us we're going to rush it out. You can't rush safety. You can't rush a two-year trial and do it in six weeks. This was a brand new technology. They had never injected mRNA vaccines into a human being, something that could potentially alter your DNA. This trial should have been a minimum five years, and I think it should have been two generations. If you're going to mess with our DNA potentially, then we should see what your offspring does, and are they able to have kids and things like that. This should have been one of the longest trials in history. Instead, it ends up being literally weeks after the second shot in the phase three trials. A few weeks after the second shot, 100 people, just over 100 people caught COVID, and they based all of the future of the world on that, I think 175 people out of the 75,000 we were looking at, the 175 give us all we needed to know. But there was a problem. There's a problem if it was going to be a vaccine. If you have to have a vaccine and you have to rush it out, you're going to skip the 5, 10, 2 generation trials that ICANN and CHD and PERC would want. 
then you're going to have to get an emergency use authorization. Now, if you're going to bring a legal case, which is what I told you this is all about, what's the biggest thing you have to prove? You have to prove a motive. There has to be a motive for what they did and what we saw. This is my exhibit for the motive. Emergency use authorization, the COVID-19 pandemic, under an EUA, this is a federal FDA document, FDA may allow the use of unapproved medical products or unapproved uses of approved medical products in an emergency to diagnose, treat, or prevent serious or life-threatening diseases or conditions when certain statutory criteria have been met, including that there are no adequate approved and available alternatives. None. There can be no working drug or this vaccine is going to have to spend five years in trials. I want you to think about that. No drug can work. Tony Fauci knows this. And by the way, what is NIH working on? They own the patents inside of the Moderna vaccine, something that should be so illegal, it's incredible that your own government agencies are going to make money off of a product, but that's what's going on. So EUA, let me show you how this works because this is how it starts. Do you remember this moment where Donald Trump, you know, naively, I think, steps up to the microphone and said, you know, I heard about this great malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine. It looks like it's having some success around the world, and we know that it's totally safe because we've been using it for malaria and rheumatoid arthritis and lupus for like 70 years. And, you know, we're not sure if it's going to work or not, but it sure is safe. And so I like, you know, the idea of, you know, getting it released. So I'm asking the FDA to make sure that everybody, you know, can get access to hydroxychloroquine. And then like out of nowhere, Tony Fauci just comes like, he's like, bum rushes him, knocks him away. He's like, don't listen to him. I don't know what he's talking about. It It could cause heart attacks. We haven't done any randomized control trials. This thing is dangerous. And we're all, we're all watching our televisions going, that was weird. <laughs> See, Donald Trump, I don't think, understood this. I don't think he understood that if hydroxychloroquine works, your warp speed vaccine doesn't come out. It has to not work. This is the motive. Unfortunately for Tony Fauci, Ford Medical Center, one of our best research hospitals, immediately jumps on it and does trials on hydroxychloroquine, and this is what they find. Officials with the Michigan Health System said the study found the drug significantly decreased the rate, death rate of patients involved in the analysis. The study analyzed 2,541 patients hospitalized amongst the system's six hospitals between March 10th and May 2nd and found 13% of those treated with hydroxychloroquine died, while 26% of those who did not receive the drug died a 50% reduction in death. 50%. Over a million people have died in America. This would have reduced that by at least 50%. 500,000 didn't need to die. But this was a problem, right? This is going to stop the vaccine program. So what happened? We didn't really hear a lot about that. Tony Fauci says, well, it was a small trial. I don't really trust it. What I do trust is this trial. The Lancet, really great paper. Hey, everybody check this out. Hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine with or without a macrolide for treatment of COVID-19. And in this, what it ended up saying, hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine with a macrolide, chloroquine, and chloroquine with a macrolide were each independently associated with an increased risk of in-hospital mortality compared to the control group. It caused people to die. He said, see, I told you it would cause heart attacks. 
And so Rachel Maddow and everybody jumped on board and said, it's dangerous. Donald Trump is risking everyone's life by saying he's taking it himself. Only one problem. We never heard this. This paper got retracted. Why was it retracted? Well, an investigation by The Guardian found that a Guardian investigation can reveal the U.S.-based company Surgisphere. Surgisphere had told everybody that they had gone through 160 different satellite hospitals around the world and gotten data. The biggest study ever done on hydroxychloroquine, only one problem, was Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone and 17,000 other doctors that were all signing on to the Great Barrington Declaration and said, we'd like to see the data on this study because you have a lot of people in the 40-year-old age group dying. And we're not seeing that anywhere else in the world. So what hospitals are you looking at? This is what they found. U.S.-based company Surgisphere, whose handful of employees appear to include a science fiction writer and an adult content model, has provided data for multiple studies on COVID-19 co-authored by its chief executive, but has so far failed to adequately explain its data or methodology. Our government was hopping on the television promoting a trial that had been done by a science fiction writer and a porn star. Now, if the news actually was news, that would have been a good story. <laughs> but they're owned. Okay. So now, I'm, in, I'm, I, I'm all about reason. If you watch the high wire, I'm not a doctor. I have no medical degree, didn't go to medical school. Let's get pointed out by the New York Times and Washington Post every time they want to talk about me. He has no medical degree. Absolutely true. I'm just a journalist, which is why it's so freaking terrifying. I'm getting it right, and the CDC is getting it wrong. But I, I digress. I want to ask you this question as a logical person. We're being told that this is a deadly outbreak. People are dying by the millions. We're worried about the hospitals being overrun. We're putting up army tents everywhere. We can fit one in the streets. They need some sort of cure. And this guy, Didier Rayout in France, is doing trials all over China, all over Europe. And he comes out and says, not only can we treat this upper respiratory infection, but with my program of 600 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, it is easy to treat. He gets in touch with, in fact, I think Vladimir Zelenko, the late, the late and beautiful man, Vladimir Zelenko, he decides, I'm going to add zinc to it because there's actually studies. All of this has been studied for decades. We know this. This isn't coming out. Didier Ryut didn't pull this out of a hat. In fact, the NIH had done a study back in 2005, four or five, looking at the original SARS coronavirus and said, you know what the best drug is for this? Hydroxychloroquine. Fauci's own NIH did the trial long before COVID ever hit. So when he jumps up to the microphone and says, we know nothing about it, he's lying to your face. And so DDR Ryut's using 600 milligrams. Vladimir Zelenko calls him and said, hey, DDA, look, if you add zinc, we've discovered that zinc stops the viral reproduction. It interferes with the RNA structure. And the only issue is it can't get inside the cells if the cells are infected. But that's where hydroxychloroquine opens up the cells so the zinc can get in there and kill it dead. So I've been able to lower the amount of hydroxychloroquine being used to 400 milligrams instead of 600 using zinc. Now here's my question. Not just to you, but to any third grader you have. I'm going to ask my third grader. 
We have an outbreak. We're really terrified about it. We got two scientists that are doing studies of thousands and thousands of people around the world, and we want to try and figure out how to save people from this virus. What would you do? Who would you call? I don't know, Daddy. I'd probably call DDR and Vladimir Zelenko and ask them what they were doing. No. No, they never get a call. NIH doesn't call them. In fact, they're trying to call NIH and no one will answer the phone. So your government's telling you they care and they aren't talking to the guys that are having success. But they finally do invest in a study because remember, now that we've got a porn star study that's falling apart on us, we're back to the Detroit Medical Center. We can't have that. So our government's funded two studies, the Solidarity and the Recovery Trial. Germany and France and everybody got involved in it. They didn't call DDR or Vladimir Zelenko who's using 400 milligrams or 600 milligrams. Instead, the recovery trial used 1.86 grams of hydroxychloroquine, equal to 2,400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine in the first 24 hours for treatment of already very ill, hospitalized COVID-19 patients, a potentially lethal dose. The Canadian-Norwegian trials used 2,000 micrograms in the first 24 hours. Each trial gave patients a cumulative dose during the first 24 hours that when given as a single dose has been documented to be lethal. Not only are they denying the use of this product that's working all around the world, they took innocent people, our government took innocent people in trials and murdered them. Murdered them so that they could keep hydroxychloroquine from interfering with this vaccine. That is a crime against humanity. So hydroxychloroquine is officially dead, but along comes this guy. We have evidence that ivermectin is effective not only in prophylaxis, in the prevention. If you take it, you will not get sick. We just came across a trial last night from Argentina by the lead investigator of ivermectin in Argentina, Dr. Hector Carvalho. They prophylaxed 800 healthcare workers. Not one got sick. In the 400 that they didn't prophylax with ivermectin, 58% got sick. 237 of those 400 got sick. If you take it, you will not get sick. It has immense and potent antiviral activity. We know that from the first study in Monash, it has made the bench to the bedside. Prophylaxis, we now have four large randomized controlled trials totaling over 1,500 patients, each trial showing that as a prophylaxis agent, it is immensely effective. You will not get sick. You will be protected from getting ill if you take it. <clears throat> in early outpatient treatment, we have three randomized control trials and multiple observation as well as case series showing that if you take ivermectin, the need for hospitalization and death will decrease. The most profound evidence we have is in the hospitalized patients. We have four randomized controlled trials there, multiple observation trials, all showing the same thing. You will not die, or you will die at much, much, much lower rates. Statistically significant, large magnitude results if you take ivermectin. It is proving to be a wonder drug. It has already won the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2015 for its impacts on global health in the eradication of parasitic diseases. It is proving to be an immensely powerful antiviral and anti-inflammatory agent. It is critical for its use in this disease. 
He was speaking, you know, we have a Senate that's so terrified of this uh, COVID crisis. I think there's like two senators in the room listening to that. They're not showing up. They don't care. And this guy just delivered tons of randomized control trials of one of the safest drugs the world has ever seen. Has no issue cross, you know, contaminating with any other drug out there. It's amazing. And amazing success with it. So Tess Laurie. She works, she has her own nonprofit. She works for the WHO a lot. They bring her in to check ethics on a study. Sometimes when a trial's been done, they'll run it by her and say, did they cut any corners? Can you look into this and see if you can find any loopholes? Or if they're designing a trial, they'll reach out to Tess Laurie and say, could you look over this trial and make sure that we're not going to hurt human beings or that ethically we're going to achieve what we're going for? She doesn't have any busy at the moment, and she sees... Uh, Pierre Corey in front of the Senate, so she calls him and she says, look, I'm really fascinated by this ivermectin thing. Uh, one of the things I can do is I can start collating and getting all of the trials being done all around the world. I'd love to help with this. He's like, great, we need everyone we can get. You know, we've got Dr. Paul Merrick, one of the most published ICU doctors in the world. And she says, you know what would be great? We should get a WHO scientist to work with us. That way, WHO can get behind it and we can save the world as soon as they sign off on it. He says, I'm already a step ahead of you. We've got Dr. Andrew Hill. Andrew Hill works for the WHO, and he's really excited about ivermectin. He's already looking through all of our paperwork, and we've decided that we're going to let him be the lead author on the paper. She says, great, I know Andrew. Let's all get in. And they all start handing all the studies and everything and working with Andrew to get it done. Then Andrew, all of a sudden, he gets the preprint ready to go. They're excited. Do you realize we have so many people dying, like 15,000 a day. We are on to something. We've got something that's like 75% effective at reducing hospitalization and death. So they look at the preprint. They get it. He sends it to them. Here's what I'm about to publish. Looks like they remember. It has the conclusion. This meta-analysis of 18 randomized control trials in 2,282 patients showed a 75% improvement in survival, faster time to clinical recovery, and signs of a dose-dependent effect of viral clearance for patients given ivermectin versus control. Dose-dependent meaning the more you give, the better it works. That's one of the best signs that a product is working is if you change the dose and you see its effect change in the person, that means it's not an anomaly. Something's really going on there. But then all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. And Does anyone remember this paragraph? And they read this, discussion. Many studies that were included were not yet published or peer-reviewed, and meta-analysis are prone to confounding issues. Furthermore, there was a wide variation in standards of care across trials, and ivermectin dose and duration of treatment was heterogeneous, meaning they didn't do the trials all the same way. Ivermectin should be validated, should be validated, should be validated in larger, appropriately controlled, randomized trials before the results are sufficient for review by regulatory authorities. Andrew, what did you just do? We've been reading these trials. We're seeing amazing results, and you basically just said none of that matters? That we need to wait two or three years for a randomized controlled trial to be done? The entire purpose of this exercise was to get all these studies and get this totally safe product out on the market. They're trying to talk to him. He's not really listening. He's ghosting them. Tess Laurie sets up a Zoom call. Andrew, I want to talk to you just one-on-one. He agrees. She, I want you to just think about this for a moment. This, this isn't a movie. 
These are real people, folks. You have a product that can reduce death by 75%. The world needs it. And something's just happened with the lead scientist. And you need to talk him off that ledge. Whatever the hell's going on, I got to get him back. Imagine the pressure of this moment. She recorded it for us. And here's how it starts. I mean, I, I think I'm in a very sensitive position here. I, what yeah, I'm trying to do... people are, are in sensitive positions. They're in hospital and ICU's dying and they need this medicine. Well... This is what I don't get, you know. Because you, you're not a clinician, you're not at the cold face, you're not seeing people dying every day. And, and this medicine prevents deaths by 80%. So 80% of those people... Uh, who are dying today don't need to die because there's ivermectin. There, there are a lot, as I said, there are a lot of different opinions about this. As I said, some people... We are looking at the data. It doesn't matter what other people say. We are the ones who are tasked with the... And we have the experience to look at the data and reassure everybody that this cheap and effective treatment will save lives. It's clear. You don't have to say, well, so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that. It's absolutely crystal clear. We can save lives today if we can get the government to buy ivermectin. He says, all right, but Tess, there's this whole other group of people that think this is a bunch of rubbish. She's like, I don't care about them. Andrew, we're the, we're the scientists. We're looking at the science. I don't care what some PR group has or you know, whoever is out there, they're not looking at the science. We know it's clear, it's crystal clear. What are you doing? Rest assured, I'm not gonna let this last for a long time. I don't, I'm not saying we keep going for another <laughs> but year. The fact that you're saying you're not gonna let it last for a long time makes you realize the impact of your work. So how long are you going to let people carry on dying unnecessarily? Up to you. What is, your, what is the timeline that you've allowed for this then? But what I hope is that this, this stalemate that we're in doesn't last very long. It lasts a matter of weeks. And I guarantee I will push for this to, to last for a short amount of time as possible. So how long, how long do you think the stalemate will go on for? How long do you think you'll okay, from my side, okay, from my side, every single new trial that comes through, we're going to be aggressively adding it on and i think end of feb will be there six weeks how That's many people die every day <clears throat> well there is a whole group of people who think that ivermectin is is, is complete rubbish it's i'm not talking about and... them i'm not talking yeah. about them i'm saying we know the evidence how many people what die every want... day Oh, sure. I mean, you know, 15,000 people a day. 15,000 yeah, people a day times six weeks. Yeah, sure. First no, I get it. and get it into the UK. We never really got to see any videos of Himmler or Hitler, you know, how they were making their decisions. But you just watched a human being decide to let 15,000 people die a day and I want to be clear here, because history will try to retell this. Luckily, we have the Zoom call. They'll try to tell you that he changed his mind. I want you to know, when we're watching this, he's not saying, Tess, 
We're scientists. It was wishful thinking. When I started looking at the data, when I really started looking at it, it it's not there. We are not ready yet. It's just, we're, you know, we're, we're over-calculating it. We've got to do more trials. He's not saying anything like that. What he's saying is, there's a stalemate going on here, Tess, and I'm doing my best to try and get this out. And my plan is, every time there's a new trial that gives us what we need, I'm going to keep adding it. And I think six weeks from now, we should be able to break this juggernaut. That's what he's saying. I still am with you, Tess. I believe in this. I just can't move right now. I had a debate the other night that I showed this. Is he evil? Evil? Okay. I think it depends on the definition, but that was sort of the consensus. He's going to let 15,000 people die because he's weak, he's afraid, maybe he's paid. Well, let's talk about that. Unitaid funded long-acting medicine center at University of Liverpool to shape the future of treatment. A U.S. 40 million research consortium has been created to repurpose existing medicines at the University of Liverpool. Why does this matter? This is two days before the preprint comes out. Who works at the University of Liverpool? Andrew Hill. Suddenly, a nonprofit gives the university $40 million, and there's a brand new paragraph that arrives in this trial. Tess Laurie asks about it. All right, so who helped to, who, whose conclusions are those on the review that you've done? Who's, who's, who's not listed as an author who's actually contributed? Well, I mean, I don't really want to get into. I mean, it, the, I the think it needs, to be, it needs to be clear. I would like to know who who are these other voices that are in your paper that uh, are not acknowledged. Does Unitaid well, okay. have a say? Do they influence what you write? Unitaid has a say in the conclusions of the paper. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so who is it in Unitaid then? who is sharing the, 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 who is giving you opinion on your evidence? Well, it's just the people there. I, I, I thought you needed it's just a charity. I, I, is, it, is it not a charity yeah. that actually have, So they have a say in, in your conclusions. Yeah. So a nonprofit came in and rewrote the conclusion of the trial. What do you say after that? really not much left to say is there my what i've got to do my responsibility is to get as much support as i can to get this drug approved as quickly well as you're possible. not going to get it approved the what the way you've written that conclusion you've actually gonna you've actually shot yourself in the foot and you've you've shot us all in the foot all of okay. everybody trying to do something good you have okay. actually completely destroyed it okay well that's where we'll i guess we'll have to agree to differ yeah. Well, I don't know how you sleep at night, honestly. <laughs> I'm going to challenge this, this idea of what is evil. Because I see here a scientist that I can tell he cares. I know he knows lives are going to be lost. And I'm imagining, because I've met a lot of people like this when I was making Vax, that would say to me, Dell, 
I know vaccines are causing autism. I've seen it with my own eyes. But I am running a university medical center. And if I say that on camera, I will never get to finish my diabetes trials that I'm doing. We have a really great drug for cancer. I won't get to save all those lives because my career will be ended. And I assure you something like that is happening behind the scenes. Andrew Hill is saying to himself, what good am I to any of you if I don't do what Unitaid says? I lose my job at the university. This paper will never come out. So what difference does it make? Are you going to lose me altogether? Or do you let me try to figure out how to talk to these people so that I can try and get this thing out six weeks from now? Now, I know you all want to crucify this guy. It is evil. It is evil. Who is this guy to decide that he gets to say 15,000 people die? But who in this room has not had a moment where you said, I should talk to my sister. She's going to get the freaking vaccines for her kids, but I don't want it to be uncomfortable. I don't want it to be weird, and I don't want to mess up our family dynamic. How many of us let people die? Who are we? I am tired of hearing, Dell, you're a hero. And more than that, what I'm tired of hearing is, thank you for your sacrifice, Dell. It's not. That's what's sick in us. The fact that you look at me and you think it's a sacrifice to be a guy that tells the truth everywhere he gets a chance. My life is filled with nothing but miracles. I get to meet thousands of you everywhere I go. All you do is walk up and hug me and tell me how much you're thankful. People hand me things everywhere I go. Miracles, doors open everywhere I go. And you're sitting there saying that's a sacrifice. That's what we don't understand. That's why we're not going to win if we don't know how brilliant a life is that is in the power of God, that is in telling the truth, that is saying what you mean when you want to say it. Rick and Pastor Rob McCoy and Amy, we could say the five of us, six of us, stand here. Do we really make any difference at all? No, 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 we don't. We don't if you're not here. Rob McCoy goes off in a car to jail if this room isn't full of brave individuals that are standing in the same truth. We do not change this because singular heroes get out or one president gets elected. We are the change. And until we change our hearts, our minds, who we are to be the best that we can be, then we're about to be shackled. We're about to have tracking systems because it's all fear. They fear us and we fear us. We fear the conversation. We fear the family dynamic. We've got to find the love. We've got to get back to who we are, what we are. Created in the image and likeness of God is not an idea. It's not just my physical body. It's the idea that we are totally interconnected and nothing separates us. And nothing can beat us. If we stand for who we are. Who are the donors at Unitaid? France, United Kingdom, Norway, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yep. 
And ivermectin now, 90 studies, 963 scientists, 133,000 patients in 27 countries, all seeing the same results. And still, it's difficult to get it in most pharmacies around our country. I'm going to zip through some of this. You know he took away all of our rights. This is not about said, freedom or personal freedom. choice. It's no. about protecting yourself and those around you. With a product that doesn't so, work. And because the vaccine got out, because they destroyed every product that could have saved us, we were all, by the way, part of a Tuskegee experiment. You realize that, right? It's no longer like an African-American terrible story that happened, syphilis, and we had penicillin. Every relative that you had die in a hospital that was giving remdesivir that killed them and put on a ventilator that killed them could have gotten hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and been saved. Tony Fauci, Deborah Burks, these people, Rick Bright, kept them from having products that could have saved their lives. And instead, we got this. A Baker County High School senior is in the hospital after collapsing on the tennis courts. Breaking new details on the deaths of a high school soccer player. Distressing scenes at Melbourne's training session with defender Jake Lever collapsing on the field. The Kennedy High community mourning tonight after one of their high school football players died. A South Carolina high school football player has died after collapsing at football practice. A 15-year-old boy died after he collapsed during basketball practice. And now we're hearing from his mother as his family and school try to come to terms with what happened. A West Catholic high school student has died after collapsing during a football scrimmage. On mile eight, she suddenly felt fuzzy and blacked out. 17-year-old Ryan Jacobs' heart stopped. Unexpectedly collapsed on the field. Megan went into cardiac arrest. Collapsing during Friday night's football game. in very good health. The reason why Manny collapsed in the first place still isn't known. So you might be wondering how someone in such great shape could suffer cardiac arrest. It's a rare thing that happens. says the condition is rare. It's just one of those tragedies. No, nope. this race? Absolutely not. She felt like she was in the best shape of her life. That's incredible.
see wants to attack, but you've got to be careful. He collapsed. He collapsed. months ago I'm sure that thing would last an hour and a half now if we ran all the deaths that are showing up in my news feed every single day and I just want to say if there's any doubt in your mind that you need to have that really difficult conversation with people around you are we going to just keep letting this go on are we just going to keep letting it happen and looking the other way and say this is the new normal I, of course, got a call from New York Times and Washington Post from this video, and they said, did you prove that every one of those people had gotten the vaccine? I said, no, I didn't. I said, did you call them and prove that they hadn't gotten the vaccine? I said, let me make it perfectly clear. I didn't say to my audience, and I'm not saying to you that I believe the vaccine killed all these people. I'm asking my audience and you this question. Can you remember the last year where you remember seeing an athlete drop over dead in the field of play? Like one athlete? I mean, maybe a few years ago, I remember that story. How about two athletes in one year? Or five? Or ten? Or twenty? Or fifty? Or a hundred? Or a thousand? I'm sorry, New York Times and Washington Post. I don't think you're doing your job right. I don't think you're asking the right questions. This is what we know. This is what the CDC saw. Myocarditis, this is the study they looked at when they approved it for our kids. Look at this. 12 to 15-year-old years old. Look at the males. The expected rate of myocarditis in the amount of kids they looked at should have been about one to five cases. After vaccination with COVID, 117 of them got myocarditis. 16 to 17 years old, zero to three is the expected background rate. 121 of them in that age group got myocarditis after the vaccine. 18 to 24, 1 to 11 potential cases. Instead, 213 after vaccination. This I got from the CDC. I watched them read this to themselves before they all voted unanimously to give this product to our kids. These are crimes against humanity, and these people are going to jail if nothing else happens in my life. I've been long-winded, so let me try to wrap this all up. We have a 40% rise in death around the world. Crisis is excess death soared to levels higher than during the COVID pandemic. That was just last week. There's 18,000 COVID deaths this year, but 24,000 unexplained deaths we cannot figure out. We won the V-safe data. We are suing like crazy. We got the Pfizer data. We got the V-safe data. If you want to look at the 10 million people the CDC track, go to our website, ICanDecide.org, and you can search all the different ways we now know these people got sick. Here's the newsflash. About 8% of them were affected in a way that they had the required medical care. I mean, these numbers are off the charts. If you take unable to perform normal activities, missed work and school, and required medical care, those three bars up there, it's about 28% of those that received the vaccine couldn't perform daily functions. 
this is a disaster and no one's stopping it. I won't bother you with him. You know what he says. It's time for the Great Reset. It's all about a vaccine passport. We got into huge details from there. I don't need to get into that with Amy Bond. But I do have to give this guy a moment. I do. I'm sorry. You have all know Harari, one of the favorites of the WEF. I hope you've heard from him because this guy's awesome. And by the way, I hope they keep giving him all the airtime he wants. You know, just go ahead, CNN, MSNBC, because this guy is making our jobs really easy. Just listen to this. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We're now seeing mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin, Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet. Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the the power to re-engineer life. I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. These populist politicians told people that, say, scientists are this small elite, disconnected from the real people. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, look, take this guy for his word, all right? Take Klaus Schwab for his word. These aren't conspiracies anymore. They are telling you. This whole G20 is revolved around the WEF. Our government is signing off. They love this guy. This is their poster boy. This is why we're going to win, by the way. They actually think this guy's good television. He's scaring the hell out of anyone that still has blood pumping through their brain at all. I won't get into all the studies that show that essentially the death rate of COVID, now we know, was for ages 0 to 19.0003%. We are only putting children at risk. They have a less than 0% chance of dying. But if you took all the way up through 69 and you took all those numbers together, the total death rate is still only 0.095%, less than a tenth of 1%. An average flu season is 0.13, 0.17, and we'll accept as high as 0.5. COVID wasn't even the flu, folks. 
All of this was done for no reason. It was really dangerous for about over 75 or 80 with other comorbidities like COPD, diabetes, heart disease, things like that. This huge study, watch my show to get into it this week, we talked about it, is now showing that you had a 63% better chance of avoiding getting sick if you had a natural immunity versus getting any of the vaccines. We know that your hospitalizations were down. This idea that's reducing hospitalizations is a total lie. You have a 60, uh, no, a 76% better outcome of not being hospitalized if you have a natural infection versus getting any of the vaccines. Everything they're telling you is an absolute lie. But we know it. And so now to try and get over all the doom and gloom, the truth is, is we are winning. We are waking up. We are seeing things happen that never happened. We were supposed to be carrying a vaccine passport to come into this church today, and we didn't have it. We beat it back, not just in America. They didn't get the vaccine passport put in any cell phone anywhere in the world. It's not there. It's not happening. They're going for it. They're still trying to fight for it, but now they're in real trouble because more and more of us are saying, oh, hell no. And we're rising up and doing things like this. This is the example of what you get when you choose to attack all members of the human family. This is what you get when you decide to go after a person's child. And I have to make it very clear that they really didn't expect all of this. Thousands from across the country rallied today in Washington, D.C. for a rally against COVID-19 mandates. The message for many on Sunday was not anti-vaccines, right. but the right to choose. Thank all of you for coming out today to stand up for our children, our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. The determination to preserve medical freedom is in your hands. We're fighting for ourselves, our patients, and all of you. We are fighting against Big Pharma. They have always put profits before patients. You know, here in the United States, really, it's going to be black people who really should get it first. To my African-American brothers and sisters, the vaccine that you're going to take was developed by an African-American woman. As an African-American, I come here as one of the most vaccine-hesitant groups. If you choose to take the vaccination, do you take it? We should have a choice. The vaccine passports and the vaccine mandates take us back to the days of segregation. It's back to the slave passports. Are you free or you're not free? You can't go here if you're not free or you can't. I'm tired of these people that sit in the White House that stimulate race wars. We're going to come together and we're going to fight these mandates together. Tired that we are being experimented on. We have all been deceived. I'm tired that we are being manipulated. They used our artists. They used our athletes, our singers, our rappers. Celebrities are under a tremendous amount of pressure because they use celebrities to control the black community. Shout out to we the people. Oh yeah, I forgot, they made that phrase racist too. But as you see in the audience, those who are Muslims, Christians, those in the Jewish community, Democrats, Republicans, white, black, everyone all in between, this is the example that they do not want to see, but they have no choice. This mall is so beautiful, look at all of you. Look at you, the world sees us. We are 17,000 doctors. We are the last beacon of hope. We will not stop fighting for truth, and for life. I believe in you. Are we ready to reclaim the dream? Now the people rise up. Let's reclaim our country. 
truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. We ended up taking defeat the mandates to Los Angeles. 45,000 people in Washington, D.C. that day, nearly 30,000 here in the belly of the beast in Los Angeles. And here's one of the things that's changed. When I first started traveling with Vaxxed, politicians would only meet with us hidden behind closed doors. We had to not tell anybody we were in talking to them. When we came to Los Angeles, we had 25 politicians begging us to get on the stage to talk to the audience. We have become a voting block in the United States of America. The biggest, the single, single biggest winner in this last election was Ron DeSantis, who not only opened up his state, got rid of masks, kept his schools open, but 30 days before that election says, I am totally and completely against the childhood COVID vaccine. We're not going to allow it in Florida. The only red wave that happened happened because somebody was telling the truth. Rand Paul and Senator Ron Johnson are going to be leading hearings. Thank God for them being reelected. But look, I could stand here and do another hour of gloating, but the best way to figure out if you've won is to listen to the other side that planned this whole thing, that had Event 201, that's been funding the death of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, funding the vaccines to be raced out into the market. Here's what he has to say right now. Well, I'm not sure that, you know, this was an interesting trust, uh, a case test of people's trust in their politicians or their health system. And, you know, statistically, uh, we didn't do as well as I would have expected. You know, in fact, you know, I'm cited as some, you know, mastermind of some evil yeah, plot uh, in many, many cases. So, no, I didn't expect any of that. Uh, you know, in some ways, the politicization of, you know, taking vaccines and helping protect other people, um, you could almost say that's a step backwards. You know, I hope vaccine acceptance for other diseases like measles is not reduced by this. But, you know, a lot of people jumped in and took the vaccines, but a meaningful minority in most countries were led down a path of believing that not only, you know, was there, were there rare side effects, but that the vaccine wasn't... Uh, properly tested or was part of some evil conspiracy. We did it! We did it! What? They didn't think it was properly safety tested? We didn't, we didn't accomplish what we thought we would? He's worried about the vaccine program. He better be. Recent Iowa poll. Just 34% of Iowa adults now say all children should be required to receive standard shots unless they have a doctor-signed statement showing they have medical reason not to be vaccinated. The poll shows that's down from 59% before COVID. They're down to 34% of Iowa voters believe that there should be a mandated childhood vaccine program. That's a destruction. And the anti-vaccine movement's new frontier, here's how they're writing about us. Get ready for this. Brace yourselves. This is awesome. Eric Ball, another pediatrician in Orange County, is vice chairman of the local American Academy of Pediatrics chapter. He told me that when California passed SB 276 in 2019, which tightened the oversights of exemptions, he and his colleagues felt emboldened to push for similar legislation in other states. 
Today, just three years later, these same doctors are embattled. We're completely on the defensive, he said. Now we just want to hold on to what we have. Such doubt has been accompanied by and may have been augmented by an erosion of confidence in medical expertise generally. We used to be able to persuade more with our background and training and our white coats and the bleeps in us. He says parents trusted his advice because he was a doctor. Now when he cites the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention or other official guidelines, skeptical parents sometimes accuse him of being a shill. During the pandemic, the anti-vaccine movement was able to springboard to the mainstream. Coltai says, I don't think it's that taboo anymore to be vaccine hesitant. What? You all gathered in Switzerland to do what? And vaccine hesitancy, boom, we won. We're winning. Because God's winning and truth is winning. They can't figure it out. They keep doing studies of people. What do we have to tell you to make you to vaccinate? And we'll show you pictures of measles. We'll do whatever we can. And everybody keeps walking out saying, I don't know. I just don't want to vaccinate anymore. No matter what they do. And they can't figure out why. I'll tell you why. Truth just sounds better. We have rocked Goliath on his heels. And forever, one of you that's in the room that managed to avoid the COVID vaccine, 30% of America did, probably more, I think they're fudging the numbers, but that meaningful minority, 30%, under the biggest blitzkrieg of propaganda, $10 billion worth, buying every television channel 24 hours a day, and still, they couldn't get anywhere near the 85 or 90%. And then forget the 30% that didn't get it. How many got it because they were doing it under duress? They thought they'd lose their job or couldn't feed their family. They weren't with the program. And now we're seeing that because the recent booster is only being used by 30% of those that are eligible for it. Meaning 70% of the people that believed in this program are now turning on the CDC. The light is starting to appear on the horizon. This is our time. This is what we dreamed about. But believe me, you, we have pissed them off. They are coming with everything they have. We need you to give everything you have now. I hope between Amy and Rob and all of us and what we presented today, you realize that going to sleep will most surely end in our demise. We are about to be imprisoned if we give up this fight now. We've shown we can move hearts and minds. We've shown that we grow exponentially when we speak our truth. And we've shown that we are still the children of God. And no lizard people and cold people and new Yuval Noah Hararis are going to convince us otherwise. We are not machines. You're not hacking into our bodies. I assure you, we are being led by something much bigger. We were born for this moment, this time. I really want, I want you to stop complaining about the world that we live in. You chose 
to be a warrior in this time. We were chosen to be here at this time. The proverb, may we live in interesting times, this is it. This is a battle for humanity, and it's in our hands. We're not leaving it to our kids. It's going to happen in our lifetime. We will see how this ends. It's up to us. The history books are not filled with pages of stories of we outnumbered them and it was an easy battle. Every page is insurmountable odds, courage, and passion, and belief. We don't know because we weren't there. How is it George Washington could cross to Delaware and believe he had a chance? They're going to ask the same thing about us. How did they know they had a chance? We are writing history right now together. And it's going to be magnificent. Thank you. Hey, while you're all still standing, you're standing there, you're in the perfect uh, place to celebrate liberty and the divine, we're going to have Caitlin Bond. The reason we're doing all of this is for the next generation. And so she's going to lead us in the Star Spangled Banner. Welcome, Caitlin. What a great job, Caitlin, and it's 
It's for our children and our grandchildren and for the hope of the, the song we sing for our national anthem. Liberty and the divine help of a supernatural God. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming tonight.